Welcome to the Midas Touch Podcast. Ben Mycellus here, joined by only one brother today, Brett Mycellus. Jordy Mycellus apparently was canceled after going into Uh, a Home Depot. Jordy's cannot be here anymore. Jordy's no longer a member of the Midas Touch Brothers. Yeah, you know, I missed, I woke up and I didn't check my cancel calendar. I didn't realize I forgot that Home Depot is on the list of canceled brands. And so it was just you and Ben Shapiro at the Home Depot? Yeah, we bumped into each other. Can I just say something? The tweet that I got canceled for was a social commentary tweet on guns. It's actually something I did when I walked into the store that I've never done before. And it was was weird. Like, I I realized it in the moment. So I walk into this Home Depot. It was basically, I tweeted out, I walk into a Home Depot is how I started off the tweet. And the first thing I did was look for like emergency exits, like just in case I'm in a deep red state. I'm in a deep red county right now in Pennsylvania. And like shit gets weird here. Like that was my first instinct. So I tweeted about that, like because I was thinking about it as I was going to bed. People didn't even acknowledge for the most part, say 50 percent, 50 percent people didn't even acknowledge what I was really getting at. And they were just so angry that I walked into a Home Depot. I walked into a Home Depot. I didn't buy anything. I just walked in. What was the point of you walking in if you didn't buy anything? Um, I don't have a Lowe's near me. Like, there's not one readily available. So I was looking at things for my bathroom. Just looking. Just say looking. Less. Say less, Jordy. So That's um, not what people- say less means. That's not what it means. <laughs> you, 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 say you less could- means something that you agree with. That's not, not actually say less. No, I think it means say less. Say less, less. less, Jordy. Say less. (laughs) But you didn't even get a $1.75 plank of wood like Ben Shapiro? Dude. Nothing? Nothing. Absolutely not. I didn't even get anything. I did make a really dumb comment as I was walking through the aisles, though. This is really bad. I don't even want to say it. But we were walking through the aisles, and there was the sinks. Don't get canceled again, Jordy. The the way they angle Um, the sinks is like on a side so you could see them. (laughs) I didn't know that's what they were doing. So I go to my fiance, I go, oh, look, look how Same cool life. that is. I mean, the water is going to go straight down. It's so easy. And she's like, what are you talking about? And she instantly knew what, like, what I was hinting at. She's like, no, Jordy, they don't do that. The, they're just showing you what the sinks look like, man. And I was really embarrassed. Say less. So for everybody who knows out there, <laughs> so, <laughs> so when we started Midas Touch, Jordy was always the one who would make sure that the tweets didn't involve, you know, any curses. Jordy would basically be the moral compass of the tweets and we would vet things through Jordy. Somewhere along the lines, the roles have completely reversed. And if you look at Jordy's tweets, I wake up to F-bombs all the time from oh, On Jordy. the West Coast here, you wake up and you're like, oh my gosh, this, this has been up on the internet for three hours? I'm like, <laughs> what did my little brother Jordy get himself into today? I'm going to have to help him today. Am I going to have to bail him out? Right, Jordy? This is true. When I would look at the tweets early on, it's because you guys have no filter. Like you guys have no gauge because you're old. Um, and I, I, I'm, you know, closer to the youth and I understand you know, what sensitivity issues, you know, might come out of saying certain things. You guys just, you guys have no tone with it. Oh, Jordy, Jordy, so Jordy. Well, I would be like, yeah, I was uh, using my computer mouse today and Jordy would be like, 
Brett, that's a little offensive to animals. Uh, if you just yeah, call don't the call the mouse, don't call the Jordy. computer like that's thing a mouse, how like Jordy. that's how specific Jordy would get. But now he just lets it fly. So what changed, Jordy? You got older and more detached from the youth. Is that what you're saying? I think it's that little spite beard on Jordy, right, Jordy? Full, Here you got a spite beard. Spite beard. So Ben grew what can only be described as the world's worst beard about two and a half weeks ago. And then he asked Twitter, hey, Twitter, how, what do you think of my beard? And Twitter was brutally honest. And I, I really give it up to everyone for just letting him know. Hey, Especially ben. I'd be remiss if I didn't mention Mark G. USA, Mark for mayor, who was on yeah. the show. Oh, my God. Great point. Who called Ben's quote unquote beard like the fuzz on the butt of a naked mole rat. I think I might not be doing it full <laughs> justice, but it was something. It was poetry. It was poetry. That's all your poetry. Yeah. And so then and so then I said, hey, I'm going to grow a spike beard. And I tweeted it out. A couple times because you know what? Ben doesn't look at my tweets at all. So I've been talking about this now for like a week and a half that I was going to start growing this spite beard. And Ben is like, what are you doing? You're growing a what beard? And he has no idea this is all about him and to make fun of him subtly. So the spite beard's in full effect. I'm very proud of it. So just to clarify, you are growing a beard specifically to rub it in Ben's face that he cannot grow a good beard, but you can. Yes, yes. It reminds me of Curb Your Enthusiasm. When, what did he make? He made a Spite store. Spite store. That's where I got the idea from. He, he made his own coffee shop, Latte Larry's, to compete with Mocha Joe's next door because he was pissed off with how Mocha Joe conducted his business. So he made a Spite store. And following in the reins of Larry David, you are taking that to facial hair and making a Spite beard. This, this web that you are weaving, this is deep, Jordy. This goes deep. All right. All right. All right. Enough taking on your older brother. Let's talk about the guest we have today because I'm so excited for this interview later in the show. Our guest is Roland Martin, who hosts Roland Martin Unfiltered, which is a digital daily show. I would tell everybody, make sure if you're not watching Roland Martin Unfiltered, you're not really watching hard hitting um, you know, to interview TV shows. He's also the author of an upcoming book, White Fear. And what I really want to speak with Roland about is, look, at Midas Touch, we break down and dissect and critique and expose the GQP through videos and through our digital platforms. But I really want to pick, there's, there's no one who I've seen on TV who can debate the way Roland Martin can debate these issues so clearly with such uh, perfect precision. I was just about to say it's because he's unfiltered. And I realized that was the name of his show, Roland Martin Unfiltered, (laughs) because he's not afraid to speak his mind. And I know a lot of people say that, but Roland is really not afraid to speak his mind and get to the core of the truth. And I think that's what makes him so effective and so impactful. So I'm really excited for the conversation with Roland. Should be incredibly interesting and informative. We're, We're really happy to get him on the show. So speaking about, you know, by the way, I want to dedicate a lot of time talking to Roland, you know, today. And so I want to be a little bit briefer when it comes to the news, but I want to talk about the takes post Derek Chauvin's trial. Of course, if you listen to Legal AF, we dissected all of the legal issues associated with Derek Chauvin being found guilty on all counts. We know that sentencing is coming up. We've had a lot of corporations with just some of the worst takes that I don't even want to repeat because they're so bad. But 
in exposing the GQP, I want to talk briefly about um, statements made by the GQP. You have statements from them basically calling Black Lives Matter a, a terrorist group. You have Jenna Ellis. You want to play this clip of what Jenna Ellis said? Derek Chauvin is white. George Floyd is black. So Chauvin is implicitly and automatically guilty of racism. So he must be punished. He must be made to pay for the sins of white people collectively. Social justice ignores the rule of law in favor of the rule of emotional, corporate, automatic guilt. What in the Tucker Carlson was that? Right? It's a, it's a really bad Tucker Carlson. It's biz- <gasps> what she's bizarre. So Jenna Ellis has rebranded herself now and she just is like a Tucker Carlson impersonator. That's like, like the intonation <laughs> of her voice. That's yeah. the strangest thing I've ever seen. I mean, this is the woman who got COVID via fart. So let's try to take our expectations of her abilities back a little bit. But to hear it like that, but I think what she's getting at is something that we're hearing a lot from the right. And I think our friend whose podcast we actually were just recently on, a Jeff Timmer, Michigan political strategist, said it best recently. It's, you know, who gets really offended when you start calling people racist? racists. <laughs> and that's exactly why Jenna Ellis and why a lot of these people in these right-wing echo chambers are getting so offended. They cannot even understand what accountability looks like because it's such a foreign concept to them. And in their mind, whatever Derek Chauvin did had to be justified. And whatever George Floyd did had to be horrible. And he should have been deserving of what happened because in their mind, it's all just about race and it's disgusting. And I think what this has shown us though, is you see all the racists for who they are. Every single one of them easily identifiable by the way they reacted to this trial, which I thought was a just ruling, a fair ruling, and an important ruling for this country to be able to even begin the process of moving forward on these issues. Speaking of Tucker Carlson, he has he's been having a ton of meltdowns uh, this week. and he's losing his mind. He said that there was a story that would be coming out about him blaming Jeff Bezos for it. I don't know if this is going to be this story or not, but I don't know if you saw uh, his yearbook, the pages from his yearbook. He said that he was part of the Dan White Society and Dan White was the man who murdered Harvey Milk. I mean, how sick could you be? I mean, it's a photo of him wearing the bow tie with the shit eating grin in the photo. Tucker S.M. Carlson and him saying that uh, he's from the Dan White Society. And not only that, if you look at it, it also says that he was in a part of the Jesse Helms Foundation or something to that effect. Jesse Helms was a politician whose whole thing was opposing civil rights, disability rights, gay rights, feminism. These are Tucker Carlson's idols. These are who he associated himself with enough to join clubs and societies about and put it in his yearbook that he associated with these people. And now it's like, when you see Tucker Carlson, it's almost like, Jordy, you you mentioned this earlier and and it was spot on. You were like, he sounds like the Joker. And he does. (laughs) It's bizarre. And the thing is, he is kind of sounding now like a movie villain who like, this is towards the end of the movie when he can no longer hide behind the veneer of civility and he just cracks and you go, 
<laughs> well, I'll show you. <laughs> and it's just like, what? what is happening to this man? Are we now at the stage where he is just outwardly just a nut, just a nutcase now? He's just not holding back. He's fully lost his mind. I mean, he's, he's an absolute lunatic. It's just a weird fucking, this is too much on Tucker. He's a weird fucking dude. Let's move on. But let's hear one of the best takes this week again. Uh, what we're all about is exposing the GQP as as just crazy. And I think each week that passes, we, you know, you see more and more. It just what's becoming mainstream, what's becoming, I think, clear and a growing majority are just saying, look, the GQP are just wackos. Like, and I think that's really good. I think it's totally that we absolutely and guys, when we started this in the beginning, like when we would do ads and we would say, this is fascism, this is authoritarianism, this is crazy, this is conspiratorial. Oftentimes in the very beginning, people would push back and be like, don't you think it's a little over the top for you guys to be saying that in your videos? Don't you think it's a little over top for you to be tweeting things like that? And the whole time we would be like, no, we're just calling this out for what it is. And now I think every single day we're seeing more and more evidence that we have been right from the beginning on this issue. And now everybody is just getting to see it. And I think the other night, James Carville nailed it to a T. Yes. Um, I, I, let's just play this because he sums up everything that I think we've been saying and we've been thinking. I, I just love Carville, man. What a, what, what a character. Let's, uh, let's play this clip. First, Marjorie Taylor Greene, is, is, it's like literally out of a mind. And so, you know, that the kind of false equivalency that we, we, we sort of lapse into. And by the way, she raised something like $3.7 million in a quarter. It pays. It's profitable to be crazy in today's Republican Party. And Matt Gates, he looks like a character or something. That's the weirdest looking guy I've, I've ever seen in my life and the weirdest acting guy. But uh, they, they got some, some real, you know, we got people that I think are politically not practical all the time, but, uh, you know, pretty nice people who aspire something for the country. I, I don't know where these people are coming from. I really don't. And they got to deal with James and Tim are he, he raising money hand over foot. <laughs> that was fantastic. Oh, you can't, you can't beat that. But then I guess to further prove his point, we saw Marjorie Taylor Greene's post this week where she posts a photo of herself um, looking at uh, AOC and uh, and and AOC is of course wearing a mask and it's hard for me to tell uh, in the photo Marjorie Taylor Greene's back is turned so the default would be she's probably not wearing a mask but uh, but 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 who knows and the tweet from Marjorie Taylor Greene is I'm glad I ran into you today at AOC to plan <laughs> our debate about the Green New Deal. After I finish reading all 14 pages, like we agreed, I'll schedule time for our debate. Hashtag MTG versus AOC. Now, I've seen boxers knock the other boxer out in 10, 15 seconds of the fight. I've never seen a boxer knock themselves out literally before the fight even begins in such an embarrassing fashion. What we would be watching here is the equivalent of if there was a weigh-in and one of the boxers punched themselves in the face and then knocked themselves out <laughs> before the fight was even scheduled. Because what the hell just happened there for a variety of reasons? One being 
after you finish reading all 14 pages. So let's just dissect that for a second. So you've been railing against this policy and you've never read the policy. So you don't even know what the Green New Deal is. You don't even know what it is. Let's start there. Second of all, after I finish reading all 14 pages, she makes it sound like it's extremely difficult <laughs> and challenging. And this is going to take her weeks, if not the rest of her term, to get to page 14. The boxing analogy is so perfect, though, too, because that's what it felt like to me when I read this the first time, the MTG verse AOC. I mean, she's doing a bad Jake Paul impression. It's, it's bizarre how she self-promotes herself and she's just got nothing. Okay, here's the question for you guys. Should AOC participate? Is she debasing herself if she participates? Or will it just be such an overwhelming just massacre? <laughs> would, would MTG just leave looking like such a fool that AOC should do this just to show how morally and intellectually bankrupt and she calls herself MTG, Marjorie Taylor Greene. I think it's a double-edged sword because, yes, AOC would absolutely destroy her in any straight-up debate. There's no doubt about it. But then Marjorie Taylor Greene would fundraise like 2 or $3 million off of it from her crazy GQP base. No, my, my view is it's a very easy one. She's already fundraising off her crazy GQP base. You definitely do that debate because I don't think Marjorie Taylor Greene can debate, period. And, you know, AOC is very Extremely smart. smart. Are we sure Marjorie can speak in complete sentences? No matter what you think of her politics, AOC is one of the most politically savvy, one of the smartest people in all of politics in America, in my opinion. Yeah. And she would crush MTG in a debate. And the Green New Deal is a very important thing for the country when people actually know what it is. And the need to move away from things that are harming the environment and harming our economy and transitioning to things that are going to help the economy and help America be at the forefront. You know, you can't just do things the way you do them in the past. You have to adapt based on science. You have to adapt based on things that change in the world. You can't be, you know, pro horse and buggy in 2020 and protect the horse and buggy industry you know, from the 1800s, right? And so I want to see that debate. We'll keep you posted if that debate happens. And, you know, hopefully in the next few months, Marjorie Taylor Greene finishes those 14 pages and can report back what the bill says. And finally, (laughs) um, just want to mention the breaking news that the House has passed a bill granting statehood to Washington, D.C. by a vote of 216 to 208. It is on to the Senate where good and logical bills go to die, but it is nonetheless <laughs> on to the Senate. And I think we will see the predictable result there, unfortunately, that the Senate's not going to be able to pass it. But, you know, I guess uh, fingers crossed here. And I think one of the reasons why they wouldn't setting aside if there was a majority is I don't think you can get that through as a reconciliation bill. And so under the dumb filibuster rules, you know, you, you wouldn't be able to pass it. But I did like the take by Representative Nancy Mace, a uh, Republican from South Carolina, who wanted to basically rail against D.C. and said Washington, D.C. would never even qualify as a single congressional district. Liz Cheney was standing right behind her. Liz Cheney is from Wyoming, which has a population size of less 
than Washington, D.C. And it seems like every person in the GQP is trying to outdo themselves on the takes, on just the dumb takes. There was the congressman from Ohio too today. I don't know if you saw Congress Representative Loichik. And his whole thing was he said, the founders never intended for Washington, D.C. to become a state. It's like, does somebody <laughs> to tell these people that the founders didn't intend for a lot of these states? There were only 13 colonies when America started. <laughs> they didn't think that women should be able to vote. They didn't think that Barack Obama should be able to be president. Listen, the founders did a lot of good, but the founders also didn't have the foresight to do a lot of things that our country needed to move forward. So how about you don't go by the founders did this, because there are a lot of things that have changed in the 200 plus years that our country that the founders never intended, because as a country, we evolve. Yeah, with the GQP, it is a race to the bottom of stupidity. Like setting aside that their policies are evil and would destroy the country. Like they're just dumb. It's just, it's just the dumbest crew in the world. And I want to, when we come back from this break, I'm so excited to have Roland Martin because I want to ask him a bunch of things, but specifically how it is that we can attack, can expose these incubators of dumb fascism like Fox News, OAN, Newsmax, and these purveyors of this dumb fascism like the Marjorie Taylor Greens of the world and the Boberts of the world and the Matt Gateses of the world. We'll be right back after these messages with our guest, Roland Martin. Welcome back to the Midas Touch podcast. Pleased to be joined by Roland Martin, host of Roland Martin Unfiltered, a digital daily show and the author of the upcoming book, White Fear. Roland Martin, thank you for joining the Midas Touch podcast. Glad, glad to be here. Roland, I think it was about a year ago to this day, I was in the hot seat. I was on the Roland Martin show <laughs> and you were talking to me and my oh, that client. Was, that, that wasn't a hot seat. It's always a hot seat yeah. when you're going no, on. No, no, no. You, no, no. There are some folks have been on the hot seat. <laughs> Jason, Jason Whitlock's punk ass was on the hot seat. You were not so, on the so hot seat. You were, you, were, was, you, yeah, you were in the lukewarm seat. I was, I was sitting on the lukewarm seat with my client, Eric Reed. And Eric had pointed out that the NFL and the union had changed the collective bargaining agreement language that actually stripped. Uh, retired disabled players of their rights. And I think if you recall at that time, right around that time, the NFL had come out and they said that basically Eric Reed was full of shit. He was a liar and he was totally wrong. But Roland, where a year later, it turns out that Eric Reed was a hundred percent right. The NFL and the union conceded that yeah, they had it conceded, even though they didn't say it was because of Eric. They changed their whole collective bargaining agreement policy and they extended it four or five years to give the disabled players their rights back. But yet here we are. Eric Reed doesn't have a job. Colin Kaepernick doesn't have a job for standing up for players. What's going on? Well, it's real simple. Power does not like being challenged. Power and powerful people really don't like free people. That is the one thing they can't stand. Um, I was talking to a friend of mine 
we were discussing because he, he was he was just he was asking me we were talking about my digital show and and being on CNN for six years and uh, why I wasn't uh, on these other networks. And I said, way too free. And he had a conversation with a former network president. who, And he said, well, you know, it's not that so-and-so didn't like you. What he said was, Roland is like a strong black cup of coffee. And I said, we probably want to emphasize the black. And what I said to him is that that says a whole lot that this network president, what he really didn't like was the fact that when you are unvarnished and unfiltered and unapologetic in your view, you scare power because they really like a certain type of, in the case of the NFL, they want a certain type of black athlete. Media wants a certain type of black journalist or black commentator, not someone who is unapologetic, who is unfiltered, but more importantly, who is financially free. See, when you have the, I, I never forget I, when I was at CNN, there was Vice President Bureau Chief who, who told me, and this was after I think we had announced I was launching a line of ascots, ties, and bow ties. And look, I grew up with entrepreneurs. My grandmother owned a catering business. My mom had a cake. My mom had a cake business. My grandfather had his own business. My aunt had a, had multiple businesses. My other aunt had businesses. My other uncle. So I, I grew up with entrepreneurs. And this executive at CNN said to me, you know, if you were full time, you couldn't do any of this. And I said, and that's why I don't want to be full time. And that's what you're dealing with. What you're dealing with with Colin Kaepernick and Eric Reed is they are too free. They are liberated intellectually. They are liberated uh, with their minds and their actions. And so the NFL is used to the susceptible quiet, meek, not too opinionated black athlete because that's what they prefer. That's why the NFL is the league that has the shortest careers, not the, don't have the guaranteed contracts, uh, why you see the kind of power they, they have. They will never, the NFL will never allow players to be as uh, I won't use the word powerful to has that will have the amount of leverage and influence that baseball and NBA does. You will never see that because see that messes up their entire system. That's why Eric Reed and Colin Kaepernick are out. NFL owners would rather lose. Think about this. They would rather lose than to allow a talented uh, individual like Colin Kaepernick or Eric Reed to be on their squad. And look, you have the Derek Chauvin verdict, the guilty verdict. The NFL puts out a performative statement. Today's outcome does not undo the loss of life. And they're, they, they're good at putting out statements. But at the end of the day, their players who truly stood up against systemic oppression don't have jobs. That speaks way louder than any performative statement. See, here's what you got to remember that and this is where most people in this country are fooled. Remember, you have a two tiered system in the NFL. OK, you have the league office. You've got NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell. 
You've got all the people who work in the lead office. They work for the NFL. They are not the NFL. The NFL are the owners. Roger Goodell works for them. So Roger's job is to put out those statements. Roger's job is to be the public face. So when people go, man, Roger Goodell, I'm like, no, 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 no. Yelling at Roger Goodell is the equivalent of yelling at the vice president for, for development at a movie studio. Mm-mm. Who owns the studio? It's the 32. So when Roger Goodell says, our 32 owners are committed to diversity and increasing the ranks of black coaches, stop lying. Because they're the ones who hire. You can't tell me that the, those who are committed to diversifying are the same ones who are not diversifying. But his job is to put is to represent the facade. And again, that's why he gets paid 50 plus million dollars because he's representing that. It's the 32. They hire, they control. They're the ones who make all the decisions. It's the 32 owners and that's the piece. One owner, all one. And see, this is where when you think about this like OPEC and other um, monopolies, one owner, one owner could say, damn that, I need a damn good safety who set team records. We're hiring Eric Reed. Mm-mm, because he's in collusion with the other 31 who said, hey, 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 we got to protect this thing. We can't have unsigned. My quarterbacks suck. Chicago, you, are you serious? Chicago Bears would not bring in Colin Kaepernick and you got, I can't, Trubisky, Trubisky, whatever that, he's sorry. No, 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 we ain't doing that because see, man, you about to mess up this thing. So we all going to just sit here and privately decide we are not going to hire these individuals. Like, who's the the young brother who, uh, last name is King, he's a punter. Strong leg. He put a video the other day, other day trying to figure out how is it that he not gotten a call? You always need punters in the NFL. Why isn't he in the league? Oh, he was too mouthy when he played for the Broncos and the Raiders. But I thought this thing is about skill set. That's the facade. And it's the same I'm thing in media. It's the same. See, it's the same thing in media. See, Reverend Jesse Jackson has always said this here. He said, why have African-Americans succeeded? This is luck for the most part in sports. He said, because in basketball, the court is 94 feet long. The goals are 10 feet high. It's the equal distance from the free throw line to the goal, equal distance from the three point line to the goal. You get five players. I get five players. We get the same number of timeouts. Let's play. It's supposed to be about skill set. Everybody forgets. Craig Hodges was run out of the NBA because he dared to speak truth to power. In America, white power structures, white control power structures do not like non-white people speaking truth to power and challenging that power. So what has happened to Eric Reed and Colin Kaepernick is happening in media. 
It's happening in corporate America. It's happening in Wall Street. It's happening everywhere. And I think we're seeing cracks in that, but it comes down to who owns and who controls. And talk to our listeners about what took place between yourself and Jason Whitlock, for those who aren't aware of, of, of what happened. Um, and Whitlock, you know, I started learning about Whitlock early on in my representation of Colin in, in, in 2016, 2017, um, when Whitlock was one of the, the major people out there against Colin and being a mouthpiece against Colin. Um, now that's kind of permeated to beyond sports and, you know, these takes that are aligned with Fox News, which I'll talk about a little later in the interview, OAN, and kind of speaking on, on their behalf. So w- walk our listeners through what, what that was about and where that stands See, now. See, you, know, you know, a guy like, let's just start here. Um, Jason Whitlock is not deeper than mustard on a hot dog. There is nothing intellectually riveting there. There is no there there. Okay. So he has always said that, oh, that, that he, um, 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 he, he patterns himself after Mike Royko. Mike Royko is rolling in his grave saying, you comparing yourself to me, you idiot. So, so Jason wants to be this curmudgeon. He wants to be the one. No, I'm going to offer the counter analysis. The rest of you peons don't know what you're talking about. I am the high and mighty great one who knows what's right. No, Jason Whitlock parrots what you typically hear from white conservatives. And what you have to understand, and I've seen this game for years, is that white conservatives love a black person who denigrates black people. Do you understand that if I, with my skill set, had chosen to be a self-hating black man, I'd be worth $100 million right now. Because there is no greater fool who parts with their money than a white conservative. I can go down the line. Jesse Lee Peterson, Larry Elder. You see the grifting of Candace Owens. You see the grifting of Brandon Tatum. We can go I mean, we can just go on and on and on. Now you see Leo Terrell, who was at one time a so-called civil rights attorney. Now he's a mouthpiece on Fox News. And so what happens is so there you go. Jason, Jason is saying what? what we always wanted to say. So now Jason gives us cover. And so Jason morphs into this. And so then it becomes, it then becomes even more so. So then he goes to Fox sports one and then he's continuing that. Here's what I was real interesting. Then they add Marcellus Wiley, who's, you know, Marcellus is, you know, giving us sort of this counter narrative and see, they don't like being challenged. Let me tell you what I was told. There was a commentary that my Marcellus and this person was like, yo, Rose response was fire. Put them on the air together. So she called a couple executives. This person did at Fox Sports One. They're like, yes, good idea. Then they had meetings. There were executive meetings. Should we book Roland Martin? Not the booker. Executives. The conclusion was, nah, uh, we we don't want to do that. Because see, what they don't want is they don't want somebody black with common sense who has intellectual heft destroying the arguments 
of their black mouthpieces and then now informing their largely white audience with truth. There's a reason Fox News don't call me. <laughs> Kennedy won't call. Sean Hannity won't call. Tucker Carlson will not call. Laura Ingram will not call. In fact, they actually book panelists who I put on my show. They will call them. They won't call me because they're like, no, 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 that, that black man, he way too smart because he's going to embarrass our host because he's going to show our host ain't that damn smart. So Jason comes out and though Jason's whole deal is now all of these athletes are stupid. All of them are dumb. Shut the hell up and play football. No one wants to hear that. And so for those who agree, see, there you go. Jason is articulating what they are saying. Jason Whitlock is the sports version of Isaiah Montgomery. In 1890 in Mississippi, they held a constitutional convention because the racist Southern Dixiecrats in Mississippi were sick and tired of black people being elected to office in Mississippi. So they changed the state constitution. They invited one African-American to be a delegate. Isaiah T. Montgomery has gone down in history, history and infamy because he actually voted along with them to deprive black people of voting. That's who Jason Whitlock is. And so he goes on and he says these things. And then when he gets busted, when I had my interview with him, you ought to go to my YouTube channel, see this. It really is hilarious. <laughs> He's going on and on. about oh, oh, you know, guys like you and Kaepernick and the rest of all of y'all and Jamel and all of you, you're saying and doing things. All you're doing is doing it to get clickbait, uh, just to, to get followers. But then I challenge him on why he keeps talking about Colin and, and LeBron James on his show. He goes, well, it's a TV show. You know, we, we got to have ratings. I said, stop. Didn't you just criticize mm -hmm. folk for saying stuff to get followers and you called it clickbait, but now you just admit that you bring stuff up for the purpose of getting ratings and he pauses. You want to see the video? <laughs> he looks at me. It's a long pause, silence. <laughs> and he's looking at me and there's a wry smile come over my face and I'm like, yeah, I got your ass, fool. <laughs> You so dumb, you didn't even realize that you were admitting to doing what you're criticizing. That's Jason Whitlock. He wasn't even smart enough not to say what he was thinking, which obliterated his previous point. Well, I think that shows that a lot of these right-wing talking points are often pure projection. And on the note of Fox News, it seems like every night now they're trying to sort of intellectualize white supremacy and present it oh, as yes. just another viewpoint. Like, this is just what we believe. That's what you believe. They're trying to just kind of both sides oh, and, their and, beliefs. And, 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 no, 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 no. We're just asking questions. Yeah, we're just asking the questions. We're just asking the questions. I mean, more than ever, they're, they're just saying the quiet part out loud now, right? I mean, they're just going out there. They're presenting their white replacement theory as just another idea. How do we actually fight back, though, when the most popular cable news network, and I always laugh when they try to say the mainstream media. I'm like, right. you are the mainstream media. Precisely, you are, precisely. 
how do we, what do we do when the most popular cable network is essentially a white supremacist network? So here's what you have to, you have to understand and you have to look at history. Okay. And so we speak of history. The entire right wing ecosystem, the entire ecosystem is driven by the notion of we're victims. We're the ones who are being injured. We're the ones who have been assaulted by the liberal media. We have been attacked. We can't say anything. We can't do anything. So we need our warriors who are fighting for us. That literally is what Roger Ailes built Fox News on. He built Fox News, and and I've talked to people who actually worked there. Roger built a network, and it was designed that their people never lose, that their people always look good. So then it was built on the use of phrases and slogans that say one thing, but really do another, but then it serves as, we're talking about we're fair and balanced. Mm-hmm. What, 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 no, we're, we're fair and balanced. How dare you? Oh, see, we have two liberal commentators. Yes, but you have two weak liberal commentators whose job is to serve as foils. See, I'm willing to debate anybody. Put your strongest person up against me and I will happily obliterate them. Put five of them. In fact, I remember being at the 2012 Republican National Convention. Uh, We were in the media area. Then three or four of these right wing hacks came at me and and I'm standing. I I, I felt more like Neo in the Matrix. (laughs) And I was kind of like this here. It was kind of like comment, knocking them down. Knocking down, what you got? Knocking down, who's next? And all of a sudden, it mushroomed to like six or eight. Then it became 10 or 12. Then it was about 15. And then one of them was going on. That's right, like in Texas, an illegal immigrant, he said, going on about Texas driver's license. He's talking, talking. While he's talking, I'm going to my pocket. I said, really? I said, is that what the Texas driver's license look like? What it does? Absolutely. I said, you mean exactly what this looks like? I said, oh, I'm sorry. I'm a native of Texas. This is a Texas driver's license. I said, your argument is really moot. Shut the hell up. I said, who's next? See, it was, I would just mourn them down because they can't actually debate intellectually. These are not William F. Buckley's, but even William F. Buckley couldn't handle a James Baldwin. Because see, when you are so used to living in your white right wing mind, you always win talking to your friends. It's when you got to go out Side your circle. And now you have to test your theories in the battlefield with somebody else. They can't do it. So that's why their ecosystem is what I call affirmation TV. See, Lou Dobbs, when he had a brain on CNN, we used to go at it. And Lou's very smart. I, and I, I would challenge Lou. I would push Lou. I would force Lou to realize, Lou, you're wrong. But then when Lou 
lost his mind, really because of his right-wing radio job. Then he goes to Fox News. I it was a black producer who was on his show. And Brian Jones, who was actually the president of Fox News, African-American, when NABJ met with him, he said, you know, I'm going to talk to Lou about, about having you on. I said, oh, Lou, Lou's not going to do it. And Lou, t- no, 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 I don't want to argue. Then Lou, of course, his people blocked me on Twitter because they believe in affirmation. They need right. to hear, it's, it's the echo chamber. And so what the way we counter it is, we can't be afraid. We gotta say truth, truth, truth. When, right, when a right wing come on my show, I have black conservatives on my show. I've had white conservatives. And I let them finish their point if they don't lie. What happens is when they lie and I stop them, nope. Well, you interrupt me, no, 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 no. I don't allow lying on my show. You're lying. See, the left doesn't want, doesn't let the one engage. See, you gotta understand, I'm not left or right, I reside on truth. So my whole deal is, I'm not gonna accept lies from any side. So in order to fight against right-wing propaganda, you gotta be willing to do battle. And a lot of folks who are progressive really aren't prepared to do battle, they wanna have nice, cute conversations. I'm not having nice, cute conversations. My my mission is to destroy you. An executive at CNN called my agent one day and he said, <laughs> but he said, he said, you know, he said, can you let Roland know it's not that serious? It's just a debate. And I said, I told my agent, I said, Mark, my job is to put them in rhetorical body bags. I don't want them to keep breathing. I, my job is to destroy their argument. I said, I want to, and I'll just give you this last one for the next question. This is a true story. I destroyed <laughs> Glenn Beck so, like, when I say I, I destroyed it. Glenn Beck, <laughs> y'all, I, I wish I could get somebody to go into the CNN archives. And, and anybody who's listening who works at CNN, please, if y'all could go through the archives, when I appeared on the Situation Room with Wolf Blitzer, and there was another time that was a debate and it was a night, it was Tim Russert and Brian Williams. It was a debate on NBC. This was it, and then I and then I was on with Glenn Beck on Anderson Cooper. We did debate analysis afterwards. When I say I so destroyed Glenn Beck, Glenn Beck walked off the set, and it was as if he um had he, it was as if he was Michael Spinks after Tyson knocked his ass out in 90 seconds. And he was I mean, I'm talking about y'all. He this is how he walked off. When was this? Was this before his Fox News show? Was this? No, 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 no. This, right. this is when he was on CNN. Yeah, he was, he was on. on this, so this was this was the 2008 election. When I say I so destroyed him, I never forget Sam Feist, who was then vice president of Washington uh, Washington D.C. bureau chief, because running out of the office. Oh my God, that was great. That was amazing TV. <laughs> oh my God. Glenn was like, what do you mean? The next day, they said, yo, the executive all said, we got to get Roland Glenn back. Glenn was like, nope, have money on the show. Nope. Can we do that 12? Nope. Can we do that four? Nope. He then says, I will never go on with him again. Then he comes back and says, I will never do. He had been begging to be a part of the election coverage. Then he said, I will never, not only not go on with Roland, I will never go on Wolf's show again if I have to debate someone else. It has to be only me and Wolf. That shows you right there how scared. That's absolute fact. And I would drop by Glenn's office just to fuck with him. I would drop by his <laughs> office 
and I will, I, I will pop in. Hey, like, what's going on, man? You can't have me, show, have me on your show. Glenn Beck was like, I don't want no part of that black man. He whooped my ass twice. It ain't happening. <laughs> True story. Incredible. True story. If somebody at CNN would go through their archives, I'm telling y'all, it was during the 2008 election. I'm giving y'all all information. It was a debate <laughs> night on NBC. Me and Glenn Beck were doing commentary on Anderson Cooper's show after the debate. And then, because this was because, in fact, Anderson said, hey, we we're going to cover it. Glenn goes, oh, I didn't watch the debate. And Anderson looked at him, looked at me like, the fuck? We should be doing debate analysis. And then he's like, well, <laughs> ask me about the war. And I, I'm being honest with y'all 100 percent. I looked at Glenn Beck and I said, I just sat there and watched a two hour debate. And you just walked your punk ass out here. This is me thinking you just walked your punk ass out here. And you're just going to wing this shit. This is exactly what I said to myself. <laughs> I'm about to fuck you up. <laughs> that, I'm telling you, in my mind, I said, I'm about to. There's got to be somebody you. listening oh who works Dude, I'm for telling CNN. You. And, and then you got to find it to us. You gotta, then the next one, find me and Glenn Beck <laughs> on the Situation Room with Wolf, Wolf Blitzer. It only happened one time. And he said something and I started laughing. And at one point he reaches over and taps, touches my hand. He says, thank you for so being dismissive with your laugh. I said, no, 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 no. Continue. I'm going to deal with you in a second. And when he got done, I whooped his ass. He walked off the set and Bill, y'all, I'm not lying. Bill Bennett, you know, big time conservative. He was up next. Bill was like, Glenn. What the fuck was that? He said, <laughs> hell, I sat there and I, he said, I sat there and found myself cheering for Roland. What the hell? Because the, the conversation was about John McCain and Hillary Clinton. And, and he was like blasting John McCain has been the same as Hillary or something on those lines. And when I say I destroyed him, even Bill Bender was like, you look like a complete ass up there. And that was when Sam Fights ran out and was like, man, we got to have it again. Glenn was like, mm-mm, mm-mm. I'm never going on with him again. Never. He put it in an email. He will never go on with me again or no one else. It has to only be him and Wolf. That's that's because they can't handle truth. Scarmucci. Y'all go look it up. ABC This Week. It's on my YouTube channel. I brought up something he said about Trump. He's like, wait, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, you know, wait a minute. Uh, uh, I went after Trump the same way. I'm about to go after you. This is exactly what I said. Y'all, he was sitting to my right. I said, try it. You could feel the whole set. Stephanopoulos and the other panel. This is what I heard. They all went, whoa. Like, everybody, like you can hear under the breath, like, whoa. They all sat back like, oh, shit. And I looked at Scaramucci and I said, again. And so, mind, mind you, I knew the camera did not catch me the first time. Because I said it quick. It was like a jab. Try it. So the director switched and I was waiting for it. Y'all, I'm always mindful where the cameras are and I'm seeing the monitor. And then he said it again. I went, try it. From that point on, Scaramucci was toast. And it was over. <laughs> he was like, okay, 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 okay. You got me this time. I said, yeah, I fucked you up. I said, don't. I said, first lesson, Scaramucci, do not bring your ass on TV unprepared. I will get you every time. That's why, that's, that's how we have to respond to any of them. It's combat. 
That's how you got to respond to them. That's amazing. It's, those are the best stories I've, I've ever heard. Legitimately, just incredible. <laughs> That's why you will not see me on Fox or OAN or Newsmax. They like, Mm-mm, we don't want no part of that black man. No, 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 no. Rolling. We should do a movie, though, a Midas Touch Roland Martin special, though, where we try and we just document you going on Kill Bill style and just taking just everybody down one by one. And them just oh, dude, ignoring you. dude, we got video. I'm telling you. Oh, my God. You got to find me, it. True story. True story. I did Bill O'Reilly's show six or eight times before I joined CNN. Bill O'Reilly did not raise his voice at me one time. Bill O'Reilly never tried to argue with me. He never raised his voice because this is what I think would happen. Bill O'Reilly looked into that monitor. He was like, I'm going to leave this one alone. He's going to whoop my ass. I'm going to leave this one alone. And in fact, Bill O'Reilly did some commentary. I think I may be tired of Kaepernick. He did some commentary. He was he was buster. I dare anyone to cut. I will debate anyone to come on my show and debate me the next day of my show i went raise my hand i'm here and i tweeted as bill let me know you want to come on they were like i ain't winning we ain't fucking with him we ain't, we ain't <laughs> fucking with him he was and i was like yo where you at i had my agent my publicist matter of fact i think i sent emails to them i said hey I'll take up on your offer. They're like, no, we are not fucking with him. Cause no, that's what I'm saying. They don't want that. That's how that's the, has to be the posture. The problem with most progressives. And let me give you the trick. Let me give you the trick. Let me give you the trick they use. And this is how you got to prepare. So this is what they do. They get you in the pre-interview. So what they do is this is what Bill O'Reilly used to do. They interviewed you during the, during the pre-interview. And the idiots give them all of your stuff, all of your points. So they type the notes up in the pre-interview and they take it to the host and the producer. Well, your dumb ass, you've already given them all your arguments. So they can look at your pre-interview and they can go, shit, that's strong, strong, strong. Ooh, that fourth point is weak. So if you go, y'all go back to the tape. Bill would go, okay, 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 okay. Bill would concede, he would wave off and concede your first three points, but he will focus on your fourth point. Mm-hmm. Now that's your weakest. You think, oh, we're not gonna get time for my fourth point because my first three are strong. No, he would dismiss your first three and spend the eight minutes on your fourth. Now you're caught off guard because your fourth point is your weakest. Well, they pre-interviewed me. I gave them wrong answers. fucking brilliant I would give something I would give okay this this I wasn't bringing that bullshit up on the show so when the show came on my stuff was they weren't expecting it it was like where the hell that shit come from cause shit and he's probably looking at the proofs god damn it that wasn't in the pre-interview right cause I didn't give it to you in the (laughs) pre-interview see I don't do pre-interviews I don't do it I don't ask, hey, Ben, when you and Eric came on, we you pre-interview, y'all? Because my deal no is, I don't need pre-interviews. I'm not afraid of whatever you say. I'm prepared for whatever come out of your mouth. It's not how they do it. So in order to fight them, you got to come armed. Last point. Just, this is just, a, this is just, y'all can look this up. Monique Presley on Tucker Carlson. Monique Presley called me and she said, hey, I'm going to Tucker Carlson. They want to discuss Maxine, Congresswoman Maxine Waters. This last year or maybe the year before last. 
I said, okay, listen to everything that I'm about to tell you and do exactly what I'm about to tell you. Tucker and his people, they think you're gonna come in hot. You're gonna come in like on fire. I said, and you likely are. You're probably gonna come in at an eight. You're gonna start at an eight on a 10. I want you to come in at a four. Then I want you to maintain a four through the whole interview. I said, I don't want you to think about what you want to say. I want you to go into the interview and listen to what Tucker says. And at a certain point, I want you to take what Tucker just said and flip it on him. And then Tucker is going to deny he said it. I said, because he's too dumb to even remember what he said. I said, then when he denies what he said, you then go, I'm sorry, producers, can y'all roll back the tape? You literally just said that, Tucker. I said, then what's going to happen is he's going to get angry. He's going to start raising his voice. You're going to stay at a four. And then when he raises his voice, you're going to say, I'm sorry, Tucker, why are you getting so rattled? Why are you so upset? We simply <laughs> can't have a basic conversation. I said, he's going to get so pissed at you that he is going to end the interview early. Watch. Go to YouTube for the interview. What I just described to you exactly happened. Tucker was rattled. He was pissed. At the end, he was exasperated. And all she did, I said, and one more point. I told her, I said, at a certain point, I want you to laugh. <laughs> I said, it's going to fucking drive him crazy. I said, because a crazy, deranged, white male conservative cannot handle being laughed at because you're mocking him. That's why I did the Glenn Beck. Watch the interview. She did everything I told her, and it was exactly what he did, and he was batshit crazy. See, it's just understanding the game that they play. That's why Fox News will never call Uncle Roro because game recognized game. That's incredible. Just, just the best. <laughs> the Not best. only do we need a kill bill with Roland Martin, we also need a master class on yes. how to deal with right wing trolls starring Roland Martin. That's what I'm see, see, you got to know. See, it's 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 learning. Look. I wish I had recorded this. Jeffrey <laughs> Osborne had a golf tournament and it was it, massive rainstorm came through. So we're sitting at the table and Amar Rashad's to my right and Eddie Levert sitting next to him and Barry Bonds is sitting next to him and Sugar Ray Leonard is sitting to my left. And we're, y'all, see, this was like unbelievable. And I wish it was recorded. Jay Harris was sitting next to me between me and Sugar Ray. And then Ahmad's now wife was sitting to my right between me and Ahmad. And the conversation was about greatness. And it was about how to be, and the whole, it was all about greatness. And so how to be a great singer, a great best hitter, a great boxer, uh, you know, a great commentator, a great NFL player. And so we're sitting here all sharing about tricks of the trade and, and all different things, how to turn a phrase and how to do all these different things along those lines. And see, the problem is too many people are sitting their asses on couches thinking, oh, I can do that. Then when they go on there, they get embarrassed. Uh, when Van jumped, Van, Van, we discussed it publicly. Van, when he got to see it, Van, Essie Cup was whooping his ass. Like, slap, just, I'm talking about just like, just, I'm at home like, damn, Van, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> So I called Van and said, dog, she whooping your ass. And this is a true story. The executives at CNN, they had a meeting and they said, it's in 2012, we need us another Roland Martin. Well, a person in the meeting went, we already got Roland Martin. I said, no, no, we need us another Roland Martin. 
And Mark Whitaker, who was the number two executive there, African-American, who was awful, okay, he was one of the people. Mark Whitaker hated my guts, did not want me on. He never would meet with me in the two and a half years he was there. Would not have a meeting with me individually. And so they hired Van Jones and Clint and uh, Charles Blow to replace me. I knew that because my people told me. So I called Van. I said, Van, look, here's the deal. They're not going to have two black men fighting each other over some bullshit because of their bullshit. I said, but you're getting your ass whooped. And if you're going to be on tell as a black guy on television commentating, I said, Doc, you got to represent black America. So I would teach Van. Van would go, and I, we would have sessions after he went on the air. We would critique his sessions after he would debate nights, critiquing sessions, how to turn phrases, how to flip a conversation, how to move dialogue, how to evade, how to hone in, things along those lines, using tone, stuff along those lines. And I gave him one trick. You know, CNN always had, they always had these, uh, Pound with Anderson over here and Wolf would be over the, on the other side of the studio with Gloria Borger and um, David Gergen. And so I said, Van, I need you to always be aware of the cameras and the monitors. He's like, for what? I said, no, no, no. When they're not talking to you, still be paying attention. I said, so Wolf is over there talking to David Gergen and Gloria Borger. I said, you need to be trying to figure out where the camera. So when the camera's on David, I said, where are you in it? Are you to the left or are you to the right? I said, so let's say you're literally right behind David and the camera's shooting this way. So I want you to lean your body this way. I said, so when the camera's on David after Wolf asked the question, you're in the background, David's in the foreground. Well, if David says something that you know is BS and you disagree with it, this is what I want you to do this here. <laughs> Nod your head. I said, because Wolf is facing you. Wolf is going to see you in the background, David's in the foreground. And so Wolf might say, well, David, our friend Van Jones disagrees with you. I said, all of a sudden, he's going to throw the conversation over to Anderson. I said, that's how you flip the whole conversation. They threw it from that side to your side. I said, they didn't even see it coming. But that's understanding the art of television. It's understanding your tone. It's understanding the moment. It's understanding also getting in that last jab. At the end of a segment, I do it all the time. There's always a two second, there's always a two second pause at the end of a segment, and you can get in that last jab before they go. Incredible. It's understanding your craft. Incredible. Wow. I feel like that was that was a full-on masterclass right there. That was incredible. Roland, thank you before we go any further for sharing our videos from the very beginning when we first launched Midas Touch. We're super appreciative of all that. So seriously, thank you so much. When we started this to one of your points earlier to, to do what, what you had said before was, was just get the truth out there, combat all this disinformation. We were fed up on a group text chain before we launched Midas Touch. And that was really the whole ethos. Let's get truth out there. Our slogan is truth is golden. Yep. You have a great book coming up, White Fear. Can you tell us more about it? Yeah, I, I've been uh, in, in my fact, it started 2009. Uh, John Avalon and I were waiting to go on the air. We were talking about his book, Wing Nuts. And I said, John, we are now living in the beginning of white minority resistance. He's like, what? I said, yeah. I said, what you, I said, what you, I said, with the election of Obama, you are about, I said, even though white Americans will be in the majority until 2043, I said, it's now becoming reality. I said, we're about to see significant pushback. Uh, I said, and I'm calling it white minority resistance. And there was a poll that was taken and the question was asked, are you optimistic about the future of America for your children? Every group, whites, excuse me, blacks, Latinos, Asian, Native Americans, every group, a majority said yes. White Americans was the only group that was less than a majority. 
September 2016, a poll was taken. Are you optimistic about the future, econo the future economically of America for the next 10 years? Black people, lowest wealth, highest optimism. Latinos, second lowest wealth, second highest optimism. Asian Americans, Native Americans, white Americans, highest wealth, lowest optimism. And I, and I, and, and, and if you go back to all of, if you go back to all of my TV hits, going back from 2009, and my speeches, and my radio appearances, I kept saying it. I said, y'all, this is white minority resistance. You're seeing it. So when the Glenn Becks of the world go on television, I think Obama hates black people. The reaction to every, when Obama talked about uh, when he said that, uh, that, that the police um, uh, in uh, Cambridge uh, acted stupidly when they arrested Skip Gates after determining he lived there. What did, the, what, what did white right-wingers do? He called the cops stupid. No, he said they acted stupidly for arresting him after they had established that he lived there. And so everything, so all of these forces, all of a sudden, the attacks on uh, uh, illegal immigrants and attacks on people of color, all of these things begin to manifest itself. Then, of course, you have uh, uh, losing in 2010 when Democrats forgot how they won in 2008. And Republicans all of a sudden start passing voter ID laws. Then they had, you had Shelby B. Holder in 2013 and all of a sudden you begin to see the attacks on voter ID and voter suppression. Then you have the North Carolina where they targeted black voters saying when did they vote early? So you begin to see the sophisticated efforts, Jim Crow 2.0 begin to, you begin to see it form. Then Trump comes along, the whole deal with the birther, mainstream media play the role in it. In fact, true story. I remember being on CNN with Heidi Phillips, again, Anybody working at CNN, y'all can pull the video because this actually happened. <laughs> we're sitting, we're on the air. I forgot who I was debating. And I said, every time t Donald Trump comes on this network, we should run a crawl at the bottom that says for entertainment purposes only. Ken Jouts, who was executive vice president of CNN, who was still the executive vice president for CNN. And look, and I ain't got a problem calling names because shit had happened. He sent me an email and said, don't criticize Donald Trump when he's coming on our air. And I was like, for what? He wrong. Why are we booking him on the air? And I remember talking to Stephanie Katubi, who was a booker for the Situation Room. And I, and she was, and I said, why in the hell y'all keep booking Donald Trump? Uh, oh, he's great for ratings. I said, you mean to tell me we got real CEOs in America and y'all keep booking him? It's because they loved it. The media people loved it. Yeah, Wolf know he loved it. They loved going to Donald Trump's tower and uh, on his plane and interviewing him. And I kept saying, why do y'all keep putting that man on the air? Bertha crap something. I'm like, y'all taking it seriously? It's bullshit. But they're showing the news conferences. Okay, they're showing it. And so they played into it. So what happens? What happens? I never forget. Uh, this was after Ken had sent me that email. Some night Obama gave a speech or something on, econ on, on, on the economy. Piers Morgan had Donald Trump on his show. Again, he worked at CNN, pulled the video. He, uh, he's, uh, if, I pull, if I pull my Twitter feed, uh, so I start tweeting, blasting, and I had to be, I had to be, uh, I had to be, uh, I had to be a little shady with it because after Ken's email, and so I'm sitting there like, why in the hell is this man talking? Because it was the same thing. Why are we talking to him? And and that and so I'm seeing these things happen. I'm like, yo. So when Trump comes down that damn escalator, and that first speech, that was nothing but Pat Buchanan reincarnated. Everything Pat Buchanan had been saying for the previous 20 years. That's what Donald Trump began to say. And you have to understand in the history of America, whenever there has been black success, it has always been followed by white racist backlash. Slavery, Emancipation Proclamation, 
10, 12 years of reconstruction. What follows that? 1876 election, lease of the 1877 Great Compromise, the removal of the federal troops from the last three Southern states, so the Southern Dixiecrats come in, throw all the black people out, Jim Crow laws get passed, that leads to 92 years of Jim Crow. Show you lynchings in America, they were all tied to black success economically. Memphis, Tulsa, all those situations. All of a sudden, you go through 13 years of the Civil Rights Act, excuse me, Civil Rights Movement, the Black Freedom Movement, 64 Civil Rights, Civil Rights Act, 65 Voting Rights Act, 68 Fair Housing Act. What was the response to the 68 Fair Housing Act? Walter Mondale was one of the original uh, uh, folks uh, who uh, authored that bill. It was the battle against, the, the battle against a busing. White backlash. You go through the 1970s, black mayors in Atlanta, Washington, D.C., in Detroit, uh, 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 Hatcher in Gary, Indiana. What, what, what comes in 1980? Ronald Reagan. Backlash. Opens his campaign. Where? Philadelphia, Mississippi. Speech on states' rights. He's appealing to that, uh, to that group. All of a sudden, you go through the 19, got 1980s, 1990s. What happens? Obama gets elected. No, I'm sorry. Let's go back. 1984. Jesse Jackson delivers his speech in San Francisco. White Democrats begin to meet. Oh, we can't have Jesse Jackson being the voice of the party. The DOC gets created. 1988, he runs again. They change the rules. You see what happens. 2008, Obama runs. He wins. Who's the re who is the result of Obama winning two terms? Donald Trump. That book that we're focusing on is dealing with not this economic anxiety. And that's what pissed me off these mainstream media people because they were just running around going economic anxiety. I got so sick and tired of MSNBC putting Michael Moore's ass on television. Like we should be listening to these people. No, Michael, shut the fuck up. You should be listening to what's going on because we saw what was happening. We saw what was going on because if Michael Moore actually read a goddamn book, he could have read Thomas Edsel's column where at the 1984 when Walter Mondale lost, focus groups were done in Macomb County. And what did they say in 1984? The Democrats are doing too much for black people. That's how Macomb County flipped from Democrat to Republican. It mirrored exactly what happened in 2016. But too many folks in mainstream media were completely ignoring it because they were not listening to black reporters and black commentators, and they were keeping folks like me off the damn air. 2015, I'm appearing a lot on, on uh, Morning Joe. All of a sudden, January 2016 comes up, they're not returning my emails. Not even returning my emails. Oh, first two months after Trump wins, I'm getting booked. Hallie Jackson show, Katie Turr's show, all these shows. All of a sudden, boom, bookings in after two months because I was strong black coffee. They didn't want to hear it because mainstream media financially benefited from Donald Trump and they did not want truth being told. So we, in order for us to have a more perfect union, we've got to confront the reality of white fear in America and why the right is using it because they know they cannot win in a diverse America when you have conscious white Americans and African-Americans and Latinos who understand us moving towards a multicultural America. Roland Martin, I'm uh, left a bit speechless here after this hour. I want to thank you so much for you coming on the uh, podcast today. The only thing I feel bad about is this may prevent you from getting that masterclass deal. 
um, because you just <laughs> because you just laid it out here. Although, well, I think well, the, re- the reason I'm not worried about it is because here's the deal. Um, I'm not waiting for ABC or NBC or CBS to call me. Look, I've done ABC this week. Uh, I don't know why they, they stopped calling me. Uh, I know George Stephanopoulos really likes me when I'm on the show. Uh, the executive producer of Face the Nation, she won't even return my emails. Uh, Chuck Todd has never had me on, so you never see me on Meet the Press. Uh, but here's the whole deal. That's why I created my own digital platform. That's why I created my own show. I'm at my OTT channels being built right now. Uh, so I haven't, I'm not sitting around waiting for somebody else uh, to give me an opportunity. We're just going to create it for ourselves. The exact same. Look, y- y- look, y'all probably got pissed off wondering why in the hell the Democrats have been slow as hell creating damn ads uh, to inform people, which I'm still don't understand why. I mean, people are like, oh, screw the Lincoln Project. I'm like, no, study the Lincoln Project. Uh, but that's, that's, that's part of the deal. And so, look, we can't afford to wait. We can't afford to wait. And so for me, I'm 52. If I sat around, I left CNN eight years ago. If I sat around and waited uh, for one of these folks to call me, uh, I'll be broke somewhere, uh, begging uh, and just being upset and bitter. I'm not. Uh, if they call, great. If they don't call, fine. I'm still going to do what I do. Roland Martin, thank you for joining the Midas Touch podcast. We will be right back after these messages. Welcome back to the Midas Touch podcast. I truly meant it. Wow. When I said that I was speechless. I mean, that That was was honestly incredible. One of the best interviews in just not just Midas Touch, but like that hour was one of the most. I just sat back and watched and, and listened. And totally. I, I mean, I, I think, honestly, if I had to say anything about it, educational. Like, I feel like I learned so much from listening to Roland speak. I think the guy is brilliant. And I think oh, I learned a ton by listening to him. And I hope everybody else did too. But holy crap. I mean, we could learn a lot about how to expose the GQP from what he was saying, the media, power structures. There's a lot that we could take away from what Roland said. And I want to thank him again for joining us on the show. What an epic, epic, epic. We have to, we, we have to put that whole thing on YouTube for everyone to check out. I mean, it was really, yeah, we definitely it's, it's one thing listening to it. And it was just amazing like that. Jordy gives it. me another job. Just there like that. Right? That's how, that's how it that's happens. How it happens. But also then watch, watching him, you know, lay this all out. It was, it was, it was really a masterclass. It was, it was crazy. And so just want to thank everybody to listening to this week's episode. Um, you know, it's interesting because sometimes when we plan these interviews, our interviews generally are about 15 to 20 minutes, but sometimes you just get so into the interview, you know, both you as the interviewer and the guest that, you know, you, you lose track of the time. And so when I looked by the end of the interview, we went about 55 to 56 (laughs) minutes, but it really felt like time went by so fast because how enraptured I was in you know, in that conversation. And so I'm so proud to be able to bring that interview to you. And I hope you learn, you could do a whole course, like a, a whole semester on what Roland Martin just and Here's said. what I recommend. If you, if you liked that interview, if you like this show, spread the word, like help, help get that message out here. Cause I think it's so important that everybody hear what Roland had to say. And if you like our show, please share it with a friend, post it on your Facebook page, let people know on Twitter, your support is what keeps this show going. And we're so appreciative to have built this incredible 
community. We're so thankful that you've joined us along the way. That is our show this week. Please follow us on all channels. And when I say all channels, I mean Twitter. I mean TikTok. I mean Instagram, Facebook. Hey, we even got a re- subreddit, guys. You know, we have, a, we have a subreddit that our fans communicate on and, and talk to about all of our content. I think that's pretty cool. Join us on Reddit. Keep spreading the word. We win when we show up in numbers and we control the narrative. And we want to thank you for helping us do that. Thank you for your support of Midas Touch. And we will see you next week. Same time, same place at the Midas Touch Podcast. Shout out to the Midas Mighty!